Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. So last week we began our new series, How Is Your Soul? And we ended with this image that we took out of Psalm 1. And the image was this, that it was an image of a tree that was planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season with leaves that never wither and prospering in all that it does. And we established that the growth of this tree is representative of our intentional spiritual formation or spiritual growth. And we talked about how it was the responsibility of each of us to care for our own souls and that as we develop daily habits of spiritual formation, we ultimately care for our direction in life, which then leads to a healthy heart and a healthy soul. Now, I want to build on that image of a tree a little bit this morning. When we think about all the good that a strong, healthy tree does for us, right, and for our environment, we also quickly realize that when trees are gathered together, working together, their individual efforts are greatly magnified. So you go from the cool shade of one tree to a canopy of shade from a forest of trees. You go from a community of animals sharing the shelter of one tree to an entire ecosystem that exists within a forest. So what we should be able to gather is that as a collection of trees grow together, the life-giving forest that they produce is exponentially greater. So as these trees grow, they branch out. And as they branch out, they drop seeds, which then grow into their own individual trees, who grow up and contribute to the collective whole of the tree community. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, good. Someone's paying attention. You see, caring for your soul eventually positions you to tend to your family. So the question today begins with, How is your soul? And then the follow-up to it is this. How is your family? Is it any wonder that when we talk about or discuss our families and the generations that we're descended from that we refer to it as a family tree, right? Or if you or somebody in your family does something that, that bears the image of a parent, what do we typically say, right? That the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? So we get this. Right? We are the individual trees, but as we grow strong, we want to see the trees that are immediately tied to us grow strong as well. Now, I know that that word family can mean a lot of different things to different people. For some of you, when you think of that word family, you get warm, fuzzy feelings and fond memories. While others of you, when you hear that word family, it can stir up a lot of negative emotions. But regardless of how that word might make you feel, God intends to use us in shaping our families for the better. Now, we have a role to play. Whether we're the parents, children, grandparents, siblings, or simply extended family, when it comes to nurturing and caring for the family unit, we all have a role to play. And the effects of how we function in our unique roles can have worldwide implications. What we want to do this morning is simply bring our family life to Jesus And invite him to teach us how he would desire us to be used for the well-being of each person in our family. And if you recall from last week, I said that our motto for the series is that personal spiritual growth is what? Intentional. All right, let's try that again. That personal spiritual growth is what? Intentional. All right. 
My pause is your cue to speak. All right. In the same way that we have to be intentional when it comes to our interior life, we also have to be intentional when it comes to tending to our family. I cannot stress how important it is for everyone here this morning to see the implications that this message has for them, okay? Because this is not a message about parenting. Now, parents play a significant role in shaping the family unit, but make no mistake, everyone connected to a family has an impact on it. This is a message really about our closest relationships. So let me ask you a question. When a family member looks into your eyes, do they feel like they are the most important person in your life? Just think about that for a second. You know, the scriptures have much to say about family life. And in fact, in Ephesians 5 and 6 alone, we hear words that address husbands, wives, and children. For instance, however, each of you husbands also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband, Ephesians 5.23. Or one of my personal favorites, children, obey your parents in the Lord, but this is right, Ephesians 6.1. Or maybe a more challenging one, fathers or parents do not exasperate your children. Now, I shouldn't have to point out the obvious, but I will. There is no way to cover all that could be said about families and what it takes to make a family strong. In fact, the hardest thing about preparing for this message was paring down all that I wanted to share as it came to the surface as I was contemplating what was really important here to share. And what I'm hoping to establish is essentially a core for you to develop from there. Some basic principles and truths that you then fine-tune from there in a way that is unique to your family. So the first core principle that I want to discuss is that your family is a divine treasure. Your family is a divine treasure. Psalms 127.3 tells us, Children are a gift from the Lord. I know they don't always feel that way. They are a reward for Him. Sometimes they feel like a punishment. I get that. But in other words, they are a treasure. When you think about that word treasure, it's something we value, something that we take care of, something that is of great worth. And no one hides their treasure in the back of their closet under a pile of dirty laundry that, let's face it, you're never going to wash because you don't ever want to wear it again, right? Those things are going to Goodwill in about six months when you finally let go of the attachment that you have, right? No one keeps their treasure buried in a ransacked shed out back or stuffed in a storage tote in their attic. No. Our real treasure is somewhere that we have close access to. It's usually kept safe. We tend to check on it frequently throughout the week. Now, treasure can look like many different things to many different people. So there's a diversity with this treasure that we have. So let me ask you, what do you typically treasure in your day-to-day life? Well, here's a tell that might affirm or maybe sting a little. Whatever you intentionally give your time to, that is what you treasure. Our family is our treasure. And for some of us, it's high time we were reminded of this fact. Our family is a treasure for us to serve, steward, invest in, and love. Think about the parable of the talents in Luke 19. Each steward was given a talent that they were entrusted with. Some may call it a treasure. Now, these three stewards were given different amounts of talents. And to be clear, the amount that they were given wasn't nearly as important as what they did with their talents. The first two stewards both decided to care and tend for their talents. They invested them wisely and doubled their talents. 
and both were equally praised for their efforts. You see, they were given a treasure to care for, and they made it their priority to tend to it. Now, the third steward, he was essentially lazy. He had a bad attitude, and quite honestly, he lacked respect for his master. And so instead of tending to the talent he received or investing it somehow, he simply buried it and then ignored it until he was called upon to settle accounts with his master. Now, when he revealed his efforts, he was chastised for being wicked and lazy. Now, each of us have been given treasure to tend to. Our treasures are the relationships within our families, our spouses, our children if we're parents, our parents if we're children. Well, you're all children to some degree. The grandparents, our siblings. Those are treasures that we're supposed to tend to. And we know this, right? I mean, it's, it's no secret that the number one regret of even the most successful people in life is their lack of intentional engagement with their family. I don't know the exact number, but a very high percentage of deathbed regrets deal with family relationships. And so today, we can decide to either be like the guys who tended to their treasure that was given to them, or we can be like the guy who ignored it and simply buried it and ignored it. You know, as I was preparing for this message and contemplating this idea of our family being a divine treasure, I couldn't get away from this, this idea that we are slowly eroding the value of our families from our hearts through our addictions to our vices and our devices. I want to let that sit for a second. Now, I don't say this with any sense of superiority, right? Like, I'm not so holier than thou when it comes to this one. I say this with a fresh enough conviction that I've experienced not long ago myself. You know, just a few moments ago, I asked you this question. When a family member looks into your eyes, do they feel like they're the most important person in your life? I now want to add to that question. When a family member looks into your eyes, do they feel like they are the most important person in your life? Or do they feel like a distraction? to something else that seems more important to you in that moment. So be intentional about engaging your family. Your kids, your siblings, your family, they need to have open access to you. Have fun with them. I mean, for those of us who are adults, remember what it was like to be a kid, right? Play together, laugh together. I know this family that when their kids were younger, they would have family game night which could be anything from a board game to kickball. So they created this rhythm within their family, and when the kids had grown and started their own families, they would still get together collectively with all their families and continue the tradition of having a family game night. And so that simple act of prioritizing relationships was profound. Parents, your kids want you to engage them. And kids... Your parents need to know that you want them to be involved in your life. I mean, it's amazing how simple things can draw us together as a family. Take this koala bear, for example. My niece received this for Christmas last year, for Christmas, and and when she went back to Atlanta, she, she left it at the house. But to be fair, she wasn't attached to it, so it's not like we had a major crisis on our hands in keeping it. And so one night, I'm just kind of hanging around in the house, and I just start kind of bringing this thing to life, right? I'm just was just kind of being done with it, you know. And, of course, out of this koala bear, 
came the voice of Inigo Montoya. What are you doing, kids? You are looking ugly. You need to go take a bath or something, you know. And, and he was just very snarky and, and just very kind of sarcastic. And it was kind of nice because you could say all the things that would make you look mean through this little thing. And all of a sudden it was cute and funny, right? And so my kids were just eating it up. And so eventually Kiwi started reading story bed books to my foster boys. And, of course, he would interrupt his own story to make comments on the book. This book is stupid. Do you have another one, you know? Um, and, and, and he would say things, and eventually... It wasn't just my foster boys who were in there for story time. It was my older boys and my teenage daughter. And yes, even my wife was there, okay? Because everybody was enamored by this, this thing, right? And, and so bringing this silly bear out to read books has probably been the number one request in our home this entire year up to this point. And all of that to say that when you choose to have fun with your family and engage them, they're going to eat it up. So find the thing that draws your family together and capitalize on it. Now, for us, it was simply creating a rhythm in our home, right? We prioritized meals together, and then afterwards, we would have family time. And so our kids, we would allow our kids to decide what we would do for family time. And so if they wanted to swim, we swam. If they wanted to play hide-and-seek, we'd play hide-and-seek. Sometimes it was a walk. Sometimes it was freeze dance in the living room. But regardless of what it is, We would do it wholeheartedly, and we still do it wholeheartedly. But the launch pad for us, it really was establishing the sacredness of having meals together. Let's watch this video real quick. Would you describe your family as connected or disconnected? I would say disconnected. I wake up at 4.30, get to the work a place around 5.30. I hardly see them on a couple days during the yeah. week. So he gets a report from me on a daily basis, <laughs> pretty much. I so. didn't know my daughter already had her first kiss. Yeah, I just, like, that was, like, like two dude, years ago. Really? <laughs> Almost everything she repeats twice. And I'm like, okay, I get this already. <laughs> For me, she's always five years old. So I'm always treating her like she's five. I call my daughter Shooby Doobie. They are constantly bickering at each other. They're the total bickersons. It's a lot simpler. A lot more simple. It's the same thing. Okay. They're so in their phones and their technology that they are just completely shut off to what's going on around them. Our dad is always on his phone, but yet he tells us to get off our phone. He's looking up at us and he's on Facebook. (laughs) We're on our phones all the time. It's really sad. us to get off our phone. Uh, clean your room, brush your teeth, do your homework, you know. I so. didn't know my daughter already had her first kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Can you just take a little time out of your day and spend some time with us? Just ask him about it more often because, like, I think we're more afraid of the outcome of that he'll say no. So we th- already think that he's going to say no, but we really don't know the outcome. What do your parents think is most important for you? 
Um, yeah, grades. <laughs> Education. Do my homework. Homework first. Do your homework to be successful. Like very successful. Get a good job and be accomplished. I think they think I care about their grades the most. What is most important for your kids? Never let anyone get you down. Find something they're passionate about. Yeah, a yeah. passion for it, something in life. Be loving people. Teach them how to be happy. And be happy. Happy for the rest of her life. What are you not saying because you're disconnected? I think a lot of times I don't tell them how much I love them or how much I appreciate them or show them what, it, what how much they mean to me. Caden, you are one of the most amazing boys every day. I'm, I'm in awe of what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. Kevin, you are probably the most joyful and happy spirited kid I've seen in the world. I haven't been grateful for things that you've done for me, and I'm sorry about that, but I, I want to be more grateful nowadays. Issa, um, you've grown up to be <laughs> this beautiful young lady who was just my only baby at the time. My baby baby, baby girl. <laughs> you brightened my life, made me work hard. So having kids young was hard for them. And they had to give up a lot of stuff for that. I think someday we'll be able to give back to them what they gave to us. I'm very thankful for my parents. What are your hopes and dreams for them? That they get to live their dream. And Joshua, you are my baby boy. You are my little cuddle man. And I appreciate that because sometimes this world needs a man who is not afraid to show love. I really love her <laughs> a lot. I don't think I tell her... Thank you enough. I appreciate that she takes time and spends time with me. I'm doing everything I can to make sure that she becomes the most successful person that she wants to be and that she's in control of her own destiny. Oh. <laughs> love you. Love you, love you, love you, love you. Love you, shooby doo <laughs> They're crying the whole time. <laughs> Thank you. For what? For saying all the good things about me. Well, I like that we spent a Sunday afternoon just opening up and talking about what we mean to each other. It's nice. It's nice to do that for each other. And it's not even Thanksgiving, so that's great. <laughs> I think we should do this more often, like just sit down together and we can talk about stuff, problems that we might be having. It can definitely help. Wow. That was so amazing. Don't think that, that we stopped living because we had children. You were part of the dream. You guys both were. To an amazing day. Hey, let's all stand, will you please? Let's use this next song as just kind of a proclamation to uh, the Lord and all that He means to us. first principle that we discuss is that your family is a divine treasure. And the second is this. Your family is a discipleship school. Your family is a discipleship school. Ephesians 6 tells us, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Parents, other translations, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children 
to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. What daily demands are on you in family life that call for Christ-like character? It's kind of like a joke, right? What daily um, things aren't. But what daily or weekly habits have you developed within your family to nurture faith? Now, I know that this one tends to fall a little bit more on parents, but children certainly reinforce it with a willing heart and a good attitude. Grandparents can help reinforce these things during their visits. And the church can help start conversations with kids that are then handed off to parents who continue those conversations at home so that they stick. You see, across faith history, families were not only considered to be the central unit of society for the development of good citizens, families were also seen as spiritual greenhouses in which character, identity, and faith were nurtured on a daily basis. When Moses was giving his final parting words to the nation of Israel, he said this from Deuteronomy 6, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Catch this next part. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses was talking about discipleship. And his assumption was that spiritual formation for our children would take place in our homes. Now, we've forgotten this in our church culture today. Too often, parents simply see their job as just bring your kids to church. Now, listen, we may delegate music lessons. We may delegate their education or athletic development to those who are more qualified and trained in those areas than we are. But when it comes to faith, we were never meant to delegate that. Now, we may have the opportunity to widen the circle and bring other adults around our kids who are saying the same things that we are. But make no mistake, the responsibility and leadership of spiritual formation within the home rests solely on the parent. The great reformer, Martin Luther, saw daily family life rather than a church building as the pivotal learning center for the spiritual development of children. Family, in his view, was the training ground for the Christian. So you need to see your home as a place of spiritual training and to learn to love first in your family. So the third and final principle that I want to mention is this. Your family is a mission field. Your family is a mission field. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. You see, when a missionary goes into the mission field, they don't simply bring a written statement of what they believe. Like They're not carrying around a manifesto in their pocket. They live out their beliefs. You see, what is at the core of their faith is revealed in how that missionary lives their life. And this is why it's so important to God that we cultivate and model a living faith in our homes. You see, we can get away with faking it at work. You can't get away with faking it at home. You have to make it personal because your kids 
They have a front row seat into your faith. The question is, what are they seeing? Your children are your mission field. And your mission field most likely will expand beyond your home. But your home should be your biggest missional priority. Tending to our families, it's not an easy task, right? Everybody in the family has needs, dreams, unique callings that demand sacred care. And it's going to come from those who will walk with them across a lifetime in their role as a family member. Siblings, grandparents, parents, extended family, all of us. We have to see our family as our first church. I love the statement that I heard many years ago while I was at a leadership summit from Andy Stanley. He was discussing the tension that many in vocational ministry deal with, which is balancing the demands of church life with the demands of family life. You see, the reality for many kids who grow up with parents in vocational ministry, they become jaded, maybe even antagonistic toward the church. And so this statement that Andy shared was like a beacon call for every pastor that was there. And he said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, when your church and family collide, you cheat the church. You don't cheat your family. You cheat the church. That statement he made was powerful for me because my number one concern when I came into vocational ministry 16 years ago is that I did not want my kids to become a stereotypical pastor's kid. You know, Marty said in the past that if we succeed at ministry but fail as parents, then ultimately we fail. And I think the same can be said for all of us, that if we succeed in our careers, climb the corporate ladder, but we fail to communicate love and pass on a legacy of faith to our kids, then we failed. So we we need to see our family as our first church. And when we can care for one another we will have the backing of heaven. Now, I said it before, I'll say it again, tending to our families is not an easy task. Otherwise, we would all do it well. However, our family is our first church. And when we embrace them as the treasure from God that they are, we have the potential to impact the world. Now, I know that that claim sounds blown out of proportion, but I defer to Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley is considered by many to be a preeminent voice in spiritual formation history on parenting and family. You see, with a primary focus on shaping the character and vocation or calling, if you will, of her children, Susanna did whatever she could to integrate a rich spiritual life into her daily routine. She and her husband Samuel had 19 children. Just think about that for a second, right? This woman went to term 19 different times. Now, if that doesn't command respect, I don't know what does. Right? However, only 10 of her children grew to maturity. Unfortunately, nine others died in infancy. Now, in writing to her husband, she once said this, and I quote, and keep in mind this is a long time ago, I am a woman, she is not me, I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, Yet in your long absence, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. She goes on to say, I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress, I felt I ought to do more than I had yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children. 
You see, in other words, Susanna saw her immediate family of her spouse and children as her first church. And she didn't wait for someone to ordain her. She knew that God had given her a sacred trust in her family. She set her life's goals to train up a child in the way that he or she should go and to care for their needs with the care of Christ. She saw herself as a steward of their talents and one who would carry their destiny to God in prayer on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Now, her son, if you haven't caught on yet, was John Wesley, who went on to become one of the premier voices of faith in his generation. Charles, her other son, wrote over 8,000 hymns in his lifetime, many of which have shaped the faith of millions, many of which still influence worship today. Now, you've been staring at me all service as I've been popping these marbles out of this jar. Some of you, it's been driving you nuts. I don't apologize for that. In your homes, you have approximately 936 weeks from the, tile, from the time or the day, I should say, that a child is born until he or she graduates from high school. And the weeks, they move by quickly, don't they? Each of these marbles represents a week in the life of your child. But once those weeks have gone, you don't get them back. They're gone. So the question is, were you intentional about how you tended to those in your care while you had them? Are we giving them our very best energies as we cultivate our own life of faith? You see, as parents, we need to have a vision for who we want our children to become, right? Here we say, imagine the end. Think about who you ultimately want them to be as adults, not just what you want them to do in the moment right now, which is very tempting. I get that. But when we begin to see our family as our first church, as Susanna Wesley did, we can care for one another's needs, knowing that God and all of heaven will back us up as we disciple these souls that are entrusted to our care. So as we get ready to close, ask yourself this week, what is the greatest dream I have right now for one member of my family? How can I participate with God in the fulfillment of that dream in their lives? Let's pray. Father God, we just place our families in your capable hands right now. We look to you for strength to love, serve, and cherish each person as you do. Help us to be a joint partner with you in seeing your highest plans for them fulfilled. Give us clarity to create healthy rhythms in our homes. Give us courage to make our faith personal and to be transparent with our family. Give us wisdom to know when to widen the circle of influence and invite others in to impact our families and when to shut it down. Give us a vision for who you ultimately want our kids to be like in the end and show us how we can cultivate that. And God, at the end of the day, help us to choose to fight for the hearts of our family members rather than to simply win the battles that we have with them. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, guys, if you're new here, we'd love to meet you. Come on up front so we can say hello. Or if you've got prayer needs and you'd like something to be prayed for, please come up. Otherwise, guys, have a great week. God bless you.